Scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 9. That's page 867 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew 18, verses 6 through 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We are so thankful for the good news that we've already heard about of summer camp, the Bible camp being such a great success for God's glory, a great spiritual success. And we're thankful for all the youth and all the adults that have been involved in that. So thankful for Philip and his great leadership in that. And to God be the glory for that. We're right in the beginning of another great thing, and it's our summer faith series. Perhaps Tim will mention more about this tonight, but there are brochures. If you want to read about it, there are top-notch speakers that we are looking forward to. And already Wednesday night, uh, you got a taste of what we're going to get to enjoy for the summer. Also, keep in mind that it is the time to take pictures for Family Tree, which is our church directory now. And probably, if we can get it updated enough, we'll be rolled over in some kind of printable directory also. And this is a valuable tool that we use in the office every day. People in your Bible class use it every day. And uh, if you can participate in this, you would be doing your church family a great, great benefit and is a great pleasure to be able to use this. Uh, it's very discouraging uh, when you go and you, you, you want to look up someone that you want to see Sunday and you want to encourage them and, and you want to see their face and then you go to that site and it says no photo. It really is this simple. You walk by, you walk in, you get your picture made, you walk out. No signing up, no charge, nothing. All we need is you to cooperate with the elders who are asking you to walk by and do that. There'll be five Sundays this year uh, that that'll be available for you and uh, again, I simply remind you, your elders are asking you to do this. They use this tool every week, almost every day of every week. We, many of us here in this room do, and we're begging you to please help us in this because it is such a valuable tool for us to use. Also, keep in mind, Chisel 6 begins at 1 o'clock today. All I'll say is just some additional news. Uh, be sure and bring a pillow, bring one pair of closed-toed shoes, and then also parents know that uh, this will be over Tuesday at 2.30. We usually try to get this in 48 hours. It'll be about 49 and a half hours this time. We just couldn't get it all in. Also, keep in mind VBS. We have uh, the yard signs that are very colorful. They'll get the attention of your neighbors. If you live on a street that you would be willing to put this out over the next few weeks and invite hundreds that are passing by, uh, it would be a great blessing. There are a lot of people in the community that look forward to our VBS and the only way they can know it's happening is if some of us let them know that it's happening. So be sure to make the phone calls, make the personal invitations, but also uh, pick up the yard signs without in the foyer. They're there for you. Uh, if you'll take one, please do so and put it in the yard. Also keep in mind that now is the time to register online for that. And so uh, be passing that on to your friends also that registration is online. I noticed again this morning 
in the news. There's still talk about the pedestrian. She was four years old. She was hit in the streets in New York City. And those that were standing by, what they couldn't understand was, why did it take the ambulance so long to arrive? And this morning they've uncovered the headline read, 911 human error cited in New York girl's death. You see, it had been on the screen of the dispatcher for four minutes before the dispatcher ever called an ambulance. They think that maybe the child would have lived if the ambulance would have arrived sooner. That stirs our heart, our emotion, and it grabs our attention. A child dies because of the error of an adult. There'll be outcry, as there already is all across of America. Why is this happening? One child will get the attention of America because of her physical death. Where is the outcry in America because children are dying spiritually every day because of human error of the adults in their life? We can't expect the world to have that kind of outcry. It would be foolish for you and I to think that the world ought to have that kind of outcry. But that's why we're studying God's word this morning with God's people. You and I must feel the weight of responsibility that's far greater than the loss of a child's life physically. And that is, what are we doing to either build up or neglect the soul of a child? What are we doing to help a child grow spiritually or literally being an offense to cause them to stumble spiritually? This is God's concern. You know, we recognize it from a physical standpoint. Any of us that have had children, we know what it is to try to teach our children not to play in dangerous places and they have a peer that comes along and encourages them that riding their tricycle in the street's a good thing. We don't appreciate that peer. They get to, to middle school or high school and they have peers that, that try to encourage them to have an attitude that we've been teaching them not to have or to practice a behavior that we've been telling them to avoid or to say words that we've said that shouldn't be a part of your vocabulary. We don't appreciate someone coming in and undermining what we have tried to build up spiritually because we recognize the responsibility that we have as adults but we also love the soul of children. Most parents would agree with this statement. You want to do something good for me? You do something good for my child. You want to encourage and strengthen me? You build up my child spiritually and you will have done huge and significant things to encourage me spiritually. This morning... We're studying a lesson, like many lessons in the scripture, that people in the world would never understand or appreciate. And this morning, really, whether or not you understand it or appreciate it will determine whether or not you're spiritual minded or if you're fleshly in nature. But we picked up, if you've noticed, exactly where we left off last week. Jesus has this powerful teaching that he gives in Matthew, the 18th chapter, and it came out of their arrogance, the disciples' arrogance, saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus reaches over and he grabs a child and he says, let me teach you a lesson. Unless you be converted, you need to change your way of thinking and you become like this child. Well, Lord, how do you want us to become like a child? He says in the next verse, verse four, he says, I want you to become humble. 
And he says, unless you can do that, he says, you can't make it spiritually. In other words, he says, whoever receives this child also receives me. Notice that principle there. I want you to notice this morning, we have a principle, we have a peril, and we have a prevention that Jesus clearly points out in these next few passages. For just a moment, it's going to seem like we're bouncing around a lot of scriptures, but I want you to see what we're doing, and it won't seem as much like we're bouncing around. For just a moment, I want us to look at four different passages. And all I want us to do is I want us to see that in God's eyes, His children... And even children, children are his children, dovetail with him. We cannot say, I want to be good and faithful to God and neglect a child. We can't say, oh, I'm loyal and I love God. And yet do things that would cause a child to stumble. And this is, this is not a New Testament principle. This is a principle that is as old as the human race is. And it'll be in place when Jesus comes again. And I want you to just notice a few of these. If you want to flip back to that little book of Zechariah toward the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah was the time where the Babylonian captivity was going to be released from the people. They're going to be able to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. They're probably, by the time we're reading in the second chapter, about five months into rebuilding. And they thought soon they would re begin rebuilding the wall. But remember, they, they got lax. And it really took about 75 more years, Nehemiah coming back before the wall was built. And so Zechariah is written in visions. And so the first chapter, we have a vision about horses. We have a, a vision about horns. And I know that doesn't tell you a lot, but we get to the third chapter and there's a vision about measuring lines. In other words, if you're going to build back Jerusalem, you're going to have to measure the city. How, how are you going to build it? And it's in this kind of language of being free from the Babylonian captivity and the opportunity for God's children to build back that he talks about God's children and the enemy. And let's notice here as we read Zechariah, we're going to read 7, 8, and 9. Verse 8 is especially why we're reading it. But notice, he says in Zechariah 2, 7, Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you, in other words, the enemies that come and touch God's children, touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now, depending on how this is translated, we know the expression apple to eye means you have touched the ones who are very dear to me. And God says, you hurt the people that are dear to me and you have hurt me. And the punishment is, I will hurt you. Others says, no, this is not translated with the expression, the apple of the eye. Others says this is translated the pupil of the eye. Have you ever had somebody touch your pupil? You ever been playing basketball and somebody touch, jam their finger into your eye? It very well could be that what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you've reached down and touched. You've brought persecution and pain upon my children. You have jammed your finger in my eye. I will let you repay, be repaid for what you have done. In other words, from the Old Testament, God makes it very clear. You hurt my children and you have hurt me. He could not have said it any more clear than in Acts 
the ninth chapter. I'd like to read just a verse out of Acts, the eighth chapter, to remind you of Saul. Remember who Saul was hurting? In Acts, the eighth chapter, in verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And we say, okay, who's the church? Entering into every house and dragging off Men and women. Notice, he didn't drag off Jesus Christ. He didn't drag off God the Father. He didn't drag off the Holy Spirit. He, he drug off men and women who were a part of the church and he committed them to prison. But yet you remember when that bright light shone on that Damascus road that, that Jesus spoke to him in verse four, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice, he didn't say words that said, Saul, Saul, the people you are persecuting, I empathize with them. I sympathize with them. He didn't say that. He used direct language. He said, Saul, you are persecuting me. Listen, if we didn't understand this concept that God has, gone, has used all the way through the scriptures, this would really throw us for a loop. We say... When did he drag Jesus into some kind of persecuting situation? But it's that principle that we're studying this morning. Whatever you do to, to people, to children, to God's children, you do it to Jesus. The word persecute literally means to pursue and to hurt. He had already pursued the Christians and hurt them in Jerusalem and he had gotten paperwork from the officials that he could pursue Christians in Damascus and literally that's what he was doing. He was on a persecuting trip. He was pursuing, he was going to Damascus and Jesus says, you are hurting me. Or let's go to 1 John. 1 John the fourth chapter, we read, in verse 20 and 21, a principle and then a direct command. And the principle is not stated in the same words, but it's the very same principle that we're studying this morning. Look at verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So there's a principle. Now notice this direct command. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Can we work against our brother? Can we work against a child and at the same time say, I love God? Matthew, the 18th chapter. Jesus is dealing with this parable and this principle in verse five in a powerful way. And I wanna just, on this slide, I just want you to see this application very simply stated. We've already said it once. How you treat a child is exactly how you treat Jesus Christ. Okay, this morning, I don't know your situation. I don't know if this is something you struggle with, to be good to children, to reach down and to serve children, to be respectful to children. But wherever we are in life, are you willing to listen to Jesus this morning as Jesus says, listen, don't play mind games with yourself. Be honest with yourself. How have you treated children over the past week? How have you treated children over the past month? How would your life reflect your care for children? And then it's almost as if Jesus is begging us and begging them. Don't try to twist it around now. 
Don't be disrespectful to children and then turn around and talk about how much you love Jesus. He says, however you've treated them, that's how you've treated me. He says it, and this is the last time we're going to bounce here, okay? Flip over just a few pages in your Bible to Matthew, the 25th chapter. It's just written so similarly, and you probably already know this passage, so we're not going to camp out on it. But this is just another time where Jesus uses this same principle and teaches a lengthy teaching about it. The last half of Matthew, the 25th chapter, is a scene of the day of judgment. And there are going to be those that hear uh, a well done, and there's going to hear, be those that hear depart from me. And he uses this same principle. And so he's talked to those that have reached out to Jesus, and, and they have opened the door and they've taken Jesus in and they've given him food and they've given him water and they've given him clothing and, and they've, they've gone and visited Jesus when he was sick and when he was in prison and those individuals said, Jesus, we haven't seen you like this. And notice the way Jesus, he's stating it and now it's written. So the way Jesus says it and the way it's written, there, there's no reason to use the pronoun you eight times unless Jesus is wanting to make a point of emphasis. And so I want you to notice how many times he uses you here to make this point of emphasis. In Matthew 25 and 37, then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least. Remember what we're studying in Matthew 18? How do you treat the least? How do you treat the children? Every society, every individual has someone in their mind that is the least. And it's a shame that in many societies, children and the elderly are considered the least. In other societies, it also includes those who are not educated and those who are in poverty. I'm not saying as Christians that ought to be our least. I'm saying in our fleshly nature, that's what we struggle with. And so Jesus constantly uses this term. Do you have a least in your mind? Who's the least in your mind? Maybe you're prejudiced against wealthy people. And maybe you think wealthy people are the least. And Jesus says, okay, how you treat the least is how you're treating me. You think children aren't worth the time of day? How you treat children is how you treat me. And so Jesus says, on the day of judgment, I'm going to allow those to be welcomed in based upon, did they treat the least with the great utmost respect, love, and care that I have taught them to have? We wouldn't know this by nature. This is something we learn as Christians to reach out to those that society would say are the very least. That's the principle. Now let's take a few moments and let's look at the peril in verse 6 and 7. Now we've already had this capably read for us, so I'd like for you to notice that in verse 7 he says, Woe to the world because of offenses. The word woe means a judgment has been cast. Now who's saying this? Jesus Christ is the judge. So he has a right to say, I've already made a judgment on this and I can just tell you how it's going to be on the day of judgment. Okay, Lord, what, what do you need to tell me? He says, there's a judgment already cast against those who become an offense. Well, what's an offense? An offense is to stumble, to entrap. It's to be a stumbling block. Well, what would that look like lived out? Well, back up to verse six and he tells clearly what it is. It's to cause one of the little ones who believes in me 
to sin. So you say, what is an offense? An offense to Jesus is causing someone else to sin. That's serious. That puts us in a perilous situation. Are we going to receive little ones? And if so, that's how we receive Jesus. Or instead, are we going to be an offense and cause little ones to stumble? And he says, if so, just know, whoa, a judgment has been cast against you. Let's go to the next slide. Same verses here, but just some other ones, other words underlined. Who is it that he's talking about here? Notice he says in verse six, these little ones who believe in me. Now you see, this is what really causes this to be opened up to say, okay, is he talking about only teenagers here? In other words, young people that aren't old enough to be adults, they're still little ones, but yet they're old enough to be believers. Or is he also now opening it up by application to say, I'm talking to any of God's children who are little in the sense they may be young spiritually. They may be on the fringe, if so to speak, spiritually. They're struggling spiritually. Who is it that spiritually they would be of the least in their faith? And he says, who is it now that's going to cause them to stumble? And he says, woe to them that would cause them to stumble. Because on the other hand, if we went back to verse five, he would be saying, instead of causing them to stumble, I want you to receive them. And the idea is to bring them in and hold them up. I want you to hold them up. I don't want you to be the reason they stumble. But I'd like for you to also notice there on the screen that we've got the word millstone in verse six. Historians tell us that there were two major millstones that were used in that day and time. One was a smaller millstone that, that literally a woman could easily pick up and roll herself. And that might be where a woman was going to make a meal for her and her family and she would just grind enough grain in, in that small portion. But then there also would be a large millstone like you see there, one example. It usually was heavy enough that, that usually some kind of animal, whether it be an oxen or a donkey or, or a horse, or the Greek went back to the idea of mule stone, M-U-L-E. It went back to the idea of the strong, larger horse-like animal that we call a mule that would pull it around. Isn't it interesting, and you can run wherever you want with this, I don't have any strong spiritual tie to what I'm about to say, biblical tie, but isn't it interesting when you think about the story of Samson, that we have the example of he was God's child, I know he was rebellious, but just stay with us for a minute, you had God's child, and you had the enemy of God's people, and then what did the enemy do to God's child? Bore out his eyes hooked him to a millstone as if he were the animal and made him pull it. And in the passages we've read this morning, God's already said, when you hurt my children, it's like poking my eyes. And it would be better for you that a millstone was hung around your neck talking to the enemies of God. Anybody that hurts children is an enemy of God. And he says, and now Samson, his eyes are bore out. He's hooked up to a millstone. And it's in that setting that it's almost like a picture of repentance as he cries out a last prayer to God for God to restore his strength. And God gave him back the strength so that he could conquer some of the enemies even in his death. It's just interesting to see 
how so much of what was happening there is so much the language that is used throughout the scriptures. But we go back here to talk about a peril. And, and I'd like for you to look at this slide again in Matthew the 18th chapter. And I'd like for you to notice in verse six, the phrase that it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. You imagine right now uh, a huge millstone that would weigh hundreds of pounds is tied around your neck and you're on the edge of a deep of a pier over deep water and they're about to push you off. And Jesus is actually able to say, this is a preferable way to die. What? This is a better? This is a better way to die? And Jesus says, absolutely. It's far better to die physically of some kind of horrible drowning than for you to be an offense to a child and that child's soul be lost. It's preferred to drown with a millstone than to be an offense to a child. But there's a prevention to this. Now, if we just heard that, we'd say, oh, great, great, this is good because we all want to prevent it. But you see, the prevention is not you doing some kind of to-do list towards children. The prevention is about who you are. Look, if you will, in, in Matthew, the 18th chapter, and in verse 8, he says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because if not, look at the end of verse 8, you're going to be cast into the everlasting fire. Or look at verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. Why? If not, you're going to be cast into everlasting fire. In other words, there's an idea that, that it is better to have some things removed from your life. He's not promoting the idea of, 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 of removing limbs and, and, and plucking out eyes. Because think about it. We know that's a fact because on the day of judgment, we're going to be given a new body. And so it's not like he's saying here that, oh, well, then we would go into heaven and, and we'd be a double amputee, but at least we would be in heaven. No, we're going to be given a new body. And so what is his teaching here? What's our theme for the year? Soul focus. His teaching here is priorities. Would you put your hands and your feet before your soul? Would you put your eyes before your soul? What would you put in a higher priority than your soul? In other words, what he's doing here is to say that if you want to prevent becoming a stumbling block to, to children or to any child of God, what you're going to have to do is stop being an active sinner. Look, none of us are perfect, but to have active sin going on in our life, we are guaranteed to be an offense to others. Do you believe that? You cannot have active sin that you will not repent of, you will not turn away from, and at the same time say, but I don't want to cause my children to stumble. Well, you will. You will. This is Jesus' teaching. If you want to prevent causing yourself to be an offense, you must remove, you must cut out the sin that is in your life. There's a lot of things that 
could apply to that as we think about cutting out and cutting off. We don't have time to develop that, but on the next slide, you see this very same thing. And I'd like for you to notice the word better highlighted here. What if you did cut it off? It would be better. Now see, before when it used the word better, is it'd be better to die a horrible death if you're going to be in a fence. But here he says, what if you could clean your life up? And what if cleaning your life up, you had to say, you know, there's a lot of TV that I watch now. And my kids come through and they see what I watch. And it's an offense. I'm sinning and I'm being offense to my child. I need to cut that out. There's a lot of teenage girls that dress immodestly. And the reason it's so easy for them to do is because their mother dresses immodestly. The way you begin to correct that is get rid of all the immodest clothes in your house and don't buy any more. Oh, but they cost like, listen, what? What's your soul worth? What is your child's soul worth? Well, my job, it just keeps me from growing spiritually. I can't go to church or, or I'm around bad company. Well, maybe you need to cut that job out. There's a job out there that God will help you find that will not cost you your soul, that will not cause you to be an offense to your child. There are people that call themselves Christians and the only place they look remotely like a Christian is when they're in a place of worship or a place of a Bible class or some kind of church gathering. But yet they go home and they live like heathens and they lose their temper and they curse and they, and they hit things. And then they wonder why their child isn't fired up about Christianity. Listen. We don't have a slide there, but if you have your Bible open, if you back up to verse 7, did you notice that the end of verse 7 says, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. I need to ask myself this morning as a father, am I that man in my home? Am I the man that's bringing offense into my home? As a woman this morning, if you're a mother, you need to be asking yourself, am I that woman? Am I bringing an offense into my home? As a Bible class teacher, are you bringing an offense into your Bible class because you're teaching one thing, but you're living another thing and you think you're going to get by with it? Your sins will find you out and it will become an offense to the children. I don't know if we've ever had a time in the church where there are more children hurting in the church. I want to beg you to be praying about this. I want to beg you to have open eyes and an open heart about this. We have children that are stressed out. We have children that feel like they don't know where to turn. We have children that feel like they've been mistreated. And you know what? They have. We have children that have been neglected. We have children that they have been the recipients of offenses. And you and I need to be the ones that change that. You and I need to be the ones that says, all right, we're going to prevent this by the way we live and by the way we stand up for the children. If you thought a child was about to die physically, what would you do to rescue them? If you knew that a child was dying spiritually, 
what would you do to rescue him or her? Prevention, though, begins with ourself. What I learned today. I learned that whatever is or whoever is the least deserves my best. Drowning is better than leading a child astray. Until we separate ourselves from sin, we can't stop being an offense to others. And children mean the world to God. The greatest gift you and I could ever hope for is being a child of God. The greatest gift we'll ever give the people around us is being a faithful child of God. Did you hear that? Brethren, that may have rolled off the tongue, but I beg you to take that to heart. The greatest gift you will ever receive is the opportunity to become a child of God. The greatest gift you will ever give your children is that you are a faithful child of God. You want to help hurting children? Begin with your own faith and then open your eyes and your heart to see the children around you. This morning, if we can help you become a child of God, if we can help you to be restored to God, if we can help you in any 